0: If you were asked, when was the original Thanksgiving, I wonder how you would answer. And I don't want you to answer out loud, but I want you to think through that for a moment. Especially those of you who are history buffs, when was the original Thanksgiving? We might, some of us, might go to the year 1623 when William Bradford of the Plymouth Colony issued this to his followers, and I quote, Now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims with your wives and little ones do gather at ye meeting house on ye hill between the hours of 9 and 12 in the daytime on Thursday, November ye ninth." This, the third year since ye pilgrims landed on ye Plymouth Rock, or excuse me, Pilgrim Rock, there to listen to ye pastor. I like that part. <laughs> there to listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for all of his blessings. Some of you history buffs may say, well, that, that was a Thanksgiving celebration. But it was not necessarily the original Thanksgiving celebration. You might go to President Abraham Lincoln, who issued this proclamation, and I quote, I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of Thanksgiving. So we might go to the words of Abraham Lincoln and that proclamation. By the way, I stopped before I got to a part that I want you to get. I'll I'll follow up on that in a moment. But some of you history buffs would quickly say, wait a minute. Abraham Lincoln was not the first U.S. president to call for a day of Thanksgiving. In 1779, George Washington wrote these words. I recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish and form a form of government for their safety and happiness. Three different observations, three different statements, three different opportunities for us to try to dig down and find the original Thanksgiving. There's something that is common in each of those. You may not have picked up on it because it's, those are relatively familiar statements. So I want to go to the words of Abraham Lincoln and finish what I did not say just a few moments ago because what we find in common there points us maybe in a better way to the original thanksgiving for which we'd seek. And so he says this, a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. Those words, I'm afraid, are a far cry from what 21st century thanksgiving seems to be. If you listen carefully to the script that will play across America over the next several days. We've played just a piece of that script in this morning's service as we went around town just listening to people and as they responded to a simple question, what are you thankful for? And typically these are the things that make the list when we say that we are thankful. It's a, it's a relatively traditional script now. Somewhere in that list, we will mention family. We're thankful for our family. You don't see them here this morning, but my house is full of family. So I'm I'm questioning the wisdom of that. Being thankful for family right now. No, not so. We we love it. Teresa and I were at the airport yesterday, beginning the process of picking up our kids. And as we waited, because they seem like they're always the last ones off the plane. As we waited, we got to witness numerous family reunions as people who were away came back to El Paso for vacation visits or Thanksgiving visits. We are thankful for our families. We should be thankful for our families. But somewhere in the midst of all of this script of Thanksgiving, we are going to hear that we're thankful for the food that we have. This is the binge season when it comes to food. Thanksgiving always seems to have more food than what we really need for one meal, but we do it anyway. We ought to be thankful for the food that we have. If it's not family or if it's not food, then sometimes we hear people say they're thankful for their health or their job or certainly for their freedom. Those are the words of the script Those are the words that we practice this time of the year as we talk about Thanksgiving. And most of the time we're not particularly creative or uh, blazing new ground with our answers because those are the things that seem to make the list for us. I'm going to suggest to you today and this year that as Christians that we flip the script this year. That while those things are all noteworthy and we should be thankful for those things... There is still more to the whole idea of thanksgiving. Surely there's more to it than just those things. Here's the problem with the script that we seem to follow. If you don't have some of those things, it seems like it might let you off the hook on being thankful. So we move from our traditional current day script, this is what I'm thankful for, to what I believe is a more original reason for us to be thankful take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Psalms, and we're going to be in Psalm 95. That's probably very close to the middle of your Bible. And so Psalm 95, as we will find as we work our way through this sermon today, through this message, we will find that there is plenty in there for us to do some some rethinking about what Thanksgiving is, and particularly of this original Thanksgiving idea. Let me say, if you're not there already, Psalm 95 will be there in a moment, but let me say this as we kind of roll into this. Welcome to the hectic season. By this time next week, many of you will be Black Friday out. We're going to go from this Sunday where things are still are still relatively calm to this time next week, and our world, at least the American part of our world, will be on a fast track to being worn out. For the next six or seven weeks, we will be involved in all kinds of activity. And it's all tied to this twin season, the season of Thanksgiving that we're in this week, and then we pick up immediately before Thanksgiving even really is over. As a matter of fact, we we get halftime on the Cowboys football game on Thursday, and all of a sudden now we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving. I don't don't know that that's all bad, but I do know that it's very hectic. So this year, as we go into the Thanksgiving and the hectic season that follows, I would like to give you a few things to hang on to and maybe to rethink something of the way you approach Thanksgiving this year. So before we go too far into that season, I want to invite you to hit the pause button. Hit the pause button in the speed at which we'll live through the next few weeks and build in time, cut out time maybe better said, to reflect on thanksgiving. Psalm 95 steps us into a deep discussion. It's actually a psalm, as we'll see, a song, if it's better the way to say it for us. And, uh, and there's much in this, and I'm not even going to try to cover the whole chapter. But let's read the first seven verses. Mark, excuse me, Psalm 95, beginning in verse 1. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, and let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. We'll stop reading there. There's plenty for us to gather in that, so let me just highlight a few things for you as we work through this. First of all, there is this invitation. We are invited by the psalmist to come and worship. Actually, three different statements that he gives us, three different calls to worship emerge out of this as we begin to look at it, and the first one comes with the first two words, O come. Here's the deal with O come as we find it in verse 1 the English rendering of the intensity of the original language there leaves something to be desired for us. The English rendering is a little bit anemic. Oh, come. We don't really pick that up as much in English as we do as we dig a little deeper into it. Actually, this Two word interpretation of a single word might literally be translated this way out of the Hebrew. Here it is, are you ready? Move it. That that communicate okay? That that sounds to me a little more intense than oh come. The word here is pregnant with intensity. Move it. Let's get going. Maybe the best way for for us to picture this word is let's flash forward to Black Friday. I don't know if you're a Black Friday shopper. If you are, just let me know. Send me a text or an email, and I will pray for you before I go to bed Thursday night and after I wake up Friday morning, but I'm not going to be out there praying for you in front of Best Buy or Walmart or any other place. Now, I know we're a little more sophisticated now. Most of us get our Black Friday shopping done on the internet, and so we don't have to go out there with all the crazies unless you're crazy, and then it's, just a, it's an adventure. But I want you to go back and think about, think about some of those visuals that we have from news accounts of years past on Black Friday. You know the stories I'm talking about? Where, where you see these pictures of, or moving pictures, video of people who camp out in tents in front of stores because after all, I need a bigger TV. Or we find these throngs of people who press in against the doors that are locked from the inside so that nobody can penetrate and then until there's that final deal where the doors spring open and people rush in. That's the intensity of this word. We lose a little bit in English with the, oh, come and let's worship. Move it, he says. Let's get going, he says. Let me just suggest to you that I I suspect that you did not see the scene that I just described. You probably did not see that in the front of our doors when you pulled into our parking lot today. As a rule, churches in our day Are not populated by great throngs of people who just can't wait to get in the doors for church. We come, and I'm glad that you come. I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying here. I just want to make sure that we get the intensity of what the psalmist is saying here. We have subdued our worship and we are very reverent in that, and I want to talk about that some more in just a moment. I'm not suggesting that we should not be reverent. But I will suggest this, that too often we lose the move-it, let's get going to worship in favor of the old come. We should never allow our worship in the name of reverence or in the name of being subdued. We should never allow our worship to be ritual or routine or disconnected, or disinterested. Worship should be anticipated. When we move to come to the place of worship, as the psalmist says to us here, that initial cry that he gives, that initial call to worship is we come to do this, and the reason that we anticipate it, the reason that it is chock full of anticipation, It's because we recognize that we go to worship where we will meet with the holiest of holy, God himself. There's an anticipation that needs to mark our worship. The second of these call to worship is in verse 2, and the third is in verse 6. But scholars tell us when we take those three different calls to worship together, verse 1, O come, verse 2, let us come, and then verse 6, O come, let us worship. When we take those together, we find that there is written into that this, this uh, anticipation of a procession of worship. There is this picture of this group of people, this throng, if you will, the gathered community of faith. And as they first hear verse 1, that call to worship, they're at the beginning point and they're ready to go. And so he says, come on, let's go. Verse 2 We find them moving through the streets towards their destination. It's not the beginning anymore and certainly not the end, but there still is that point of anticipation in the middle. And finally, at verse verse 6, when we come to the third of these calls to worship, that throng of people, that progression of pilgrims is now standing at the gates, at the doors, ready to go in. And there is this building excitement about going to worship. So today we join that procession. We in the 21st century world of far west Texas, we join that procession of followers of Jesus Christ who today join in and we anticipate meeting with him. And in this Thanksgiving season, it's a call to us to say don't leave out worship. See the problem, as I mentioned earlier, with those other things that we tend to put into our Thanksgiving script, is that sometimes those things are just seen by themselves, and if we don 't have those things, if my health is gone, for instance, then what do I have to be thankful for? If my family is on the rocks, what do I have to be thankful for? If I don't have food, what do I have to be thankful for? And what this psalm does for us, this original worship, this original thanksgiving, this gives us the cause to give thanks, whether we have any of that other stuff or not, because we go to meet with God himself. It's a great thing. Well, let me see if I can... Underscore that a little more as we take another step. We're invited to worship, but many of us might join in, and the psalmist seems to be answering a question that we don't have written anywhere, but it must have been asked, and that is, why should we worship? Why should we do that? He gives us answers here, and each one of those calls to worship that I've been talking about, he has an activity that is suggested. In verse 1, Oh, come. And he says, oh, come and do what? Let's sing to the Lord. Secondly, let's make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. In chapter, excuse me, in verse 2, he says, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let me talk about coming to his presence for just a moment. It's in now, in the nuances of what the psalmist writes, that we find the original thanksgiving. He says again, let us come into his presence, very literally translated he says, let us meet his face. Let us meet his face. Not long after we moved to El Paso, Teresa and I were on the phone. Uh, I guess it was probably FaceTime or something like that with our six year old, now six year old granddaughter. Mackenzie is not here today. The rest of our crew is here. They were in the early service. And, uh, but Brandon, my oldest son, and his daughter, Mackenzie, will be here on Wednesday. But we hadn't seen her in a while when I was having this FaceTime conversation with her. And so when she popped up on the screen, I said, there she is. My face misses you. And she immediately shot back, well, my face misses you, Doc. And I thought to myself, I bet she doesn't have any idea what she just said. You see, this verse 2, the way this is written, let us meet his face, is drawn from an ancient Near Eastern image. To, to see the face of the king, and we find in other passages where it talks about the face of God, and Moses especially, it, it, it is a, it's another way of saying and translating us into the power structure that was the throne room for a king. For a person, a common person, to make his way and be in the throne room and see the face of the king meet him face to face was, was a, an exercise in intimidation. That king, with all the power and all the authority that he carried, had a throne room that mirrored that. So his throne itself would have been one of those that nobody else would have had in their home. That's one thing. To see the king sitting on it is another thing. But to look around at the decor... And to look around at the people, the guards that he had there, the servants that he had at his disposal, to see the face of the king was to step into that environment. Our translation says, let's come into his presence. And the word picture here that the psalmist lays out for us is the incredible power that we find in God and we get to step into that presence. He's intense about saying, hey, let's go. And he's intense about painting the picture for us that helps us to be sure that we recognize that we are dealing with a God who is not us. He is powerful. He has all authority. We find that played out in verses 3 through 5, and I'm not going to take the time to work my way through all of that just yet because we're not quite there, and I'm not going to have time to get to it all today. But you will see as you work your way through that, this God that we meet face to face, we come into his presence in worship. This God is incredible, the creator of all. The second part of verse 2, he gives us another reason that we should worship him let us make a joyful noise. This is an interesting phrase. It actually literally translates a word that means essentially it is a wordless noise. It's a war cry, you might say. It's one of those things that the intensity of what you feel in that moment is so strong that it just comes out. I had an example of this. I'm going to give you some homework to do today. Uh, I don't want you doing it in here, all right? First of all, you'll start laughing enough that people wonder what's going on. But when you get home, take whether it's your phone or your computer and go to YouTube and YouTube this phrase, smarty pants dance. I know I'm not supposed to say dance in a Baptist church, but just bear with me for a minute. Smarty pants dance. Now, this is old. This is at least 10 years old. Uh, But this is of a little girl, and her dad has a map in front of him. And this little girl is young. I mean, she's a toddler. Uh, She's able to get around pretty well, but uh, you can tell she's very young. And the dad will say, "Where?" for instance, he says, where's Michigan? And that little girl walks up and looks at that map, and she puts her finger on Michigan. Now, most of us couldn't do that, probably. But this little girl had it figured out. He said, okay, so where's Texas? And the girl puts her finger on Texas. And where's Florida? And she puts her finger on Florida. And between every one of those, when she gets it right, her daddy says, Do the smarty pants dance. And she jumps off and she starts. It is hilarious to watch. I don't bring it up because of that. I'm to take you back into my life about 10 years ago as I was in the process of trying to finalize my final degree. And I, I had to write. A doctoral project report. It was about 176 pages when it was all said and done. And um, I, I, I worked for months on that document. And so at the very end of it, I, I finally got to the point where I submitted the final little section to my professor. He was the assistant dean at Truett Seminary, and so he yeah, he had all of his I's dotted and T's crossed, and he made sure that I had all of mine done appropriately. And so as I sent that off to him, I remember, like it was yesterday, the relief of finally coming to the end of that marathon assignment. But that relief, as as real as it was for me, was nothing like the relief I got when I got the return email from him that says, everything's in order, you are substantially finished with your writing. I want you to know, I, I just... It was such an intense emotion inside that I, I just I did the smarty pants dance. I, I walked out of my office at the house and into the living room where my wife was, and it was just, I, I'd seen the video, and I just did the smarty pants dance. And then I looked up and saw my son's girlfriend sitting there with Teresa. <laughs> Apparently, uh, her face showed that she was absolutely shocked. Don't ask me to do that. I will never do that again, but she must have been okay she married my son after that, so. That's that's the word picture here and the emotion that he's talking about. Do you feel that way when you come to worship? Like you just can't wait to get into God's presence? That that sense of anticipation the, noise, the, the, the wordless cry out. I, I think that what has happened is that we have so tried to protect the integrity and the reverence of worship, we've lost the wonder of worship. This is not unrestrained chaos that the psalmist is talking about here. Many of us, including myself, would be very concerned that in, in lightening the expectation of worship, that we would just all of a sudden have no constraints at all. That's not what he's saying. I, I know that's not what he's saying because we have it here. Look with me a little bit further down. Look at verse six, where he gives us something of the posture of worship. This is not running around like crazy doing the smarty pants dance. This is much more focused. Three different times he says essentially the same thing. Verse 6, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. The picture of worship that he gives to us is the one that says we know that when we come into his presence, we must assume the position of worship. Whether it's literal or figurative, we don't come and just jump around like we're crazy or something like that. We come with full reverence, understanding the weight of the moment. We're meeting in the throne room of God. There's your original worship. There's your original Thanksgiving. It's not just based on the stuff that I have. It's the position that I have because of what God has done for me and for you. So this Thanksgiving, as we come into a season, a week, a day, that is supposed to be set aside for Thanksgiving, let's be careful that we don't practically live like an atheist Because what often happens with us is we hear these kind of things and we recognize the truth of this out of Scripture and we figuratively sign off on the document that says, I believe that. I believe that I should worship God. I believe that God is creator. I believe these things about him. And we sign off on that, but then we live our lives in a practical way like we don't really believe that. And so we resort to the script. Well, I'm thankful for my family. And I'm thankful for my job. You know what? I'm thankful for both of those. Very much so. But I'm more thankful for the position that I have because of Jesus Christ. That I, just like you, have the opportunity to walk into the throne room of heaven itself. And fall on my knees and worship holy God. I don't do that because I'm good. I'm just like you. I'm not nearly good enough to do that. We do that because he's made it possible. There's your original Thanksgiving. So as you go into the Thanksgiving week, let me encourage you to do two things this week. First of all, be intentional. If you don't intentionally worship this week, then the chances are good that all of the push of the holiday season... By the way, you ever thought about what the word holiday means? It's a holy day. It's only holy if we treat it like it's holy. And so be intentional that you make sure... Here's the second one. Be intentional that you make sure that you slow down. Carve out space. When I was learning how to... uh, take a raft down the rapids of the Rio Grande River up near Taos in that Box Canyon up there. We had a guide who got in the raft with us that day and he spent a couple of hours teaching us how to maneuver that raft. He did that before we got to the really tough part of the rapids because he knew that by the time we got to the tough part of the rapids, we needed to know and and it needed to be second nature for us. When he said to do something, we need to know what to do and to do it immediately so in the process of teaching us all of that, he made this comment. He said, you know, every once in a while, before you come into the one of those really tough stretches when things are going fast and you don't have time to think too much, he said, before you get into that, you need to Eddie out. And I I didn't know who Eddie was and I had no idea what Eddie out meant. And so I asked him and he just kind of laughed at me. He said, no, Eddie's not a person. Eddie's a place. He, He explained to me and to our group that when you're going through rapids like that, sometimes the current has a, has a way to kind of cycle and circle around. And he said, if you'll catch one of those eddies, one of those calm places over next to the shore, he said, you don't have to work anymore. You can just sit there and you can gather yourself and you can plan where you're going from there. I'm going to suggest to you pretty strongly that unless you're above average, you're going to need to eddy out every once in a while during this holiday season. There's going to be plenty of stuff to do. Our church has plenty of stuff to do over the next two or three weeks. We Living Christmas tree and all the things that happen with that, Christmas parties and Thanksgiving baskets that we distribute and all of those kind of things. We can be so busy working for God that we essentially ignore God in the work. So we need to eddy out every once in a while. We need to carve out space. We need to slow down. And then that pushes the third thing. I would encourage you to layer your worship. I don't know if you ever made lasagna or not. I've never made a lasagna, but I've eaten a lot of it. And one of the things I know about lasagna is that it's layered. And so you have pasta and you have meat and you have cheese. And then you repeat as necessary. Let me suggest that one of the best ways to make sure that you practice original Thanksgiving this holiday season is that you layer your life and your observations? Here's, here's what you're going to find out there there's a lot of selfish people around. I, I ran into one of the not even run into them this morning, but I had an experience with one of those selfish people this morning. Uh, I was driving to church, and one of the roads that we take to get to church in order to get on to Interstate 10 to head this direction, it goes from two lanes down to one. And if you've ever been on that road, you know it's going to do that. It's not like it's a surprise. And so this person pulled up next to me at a red light, and they were about 100 feet before we had to go down to one lane, and they pulled up next to me, and I looked over at them, and I thought, you're trying to get in front of me, aren't you? (laughs) I was right. As soon as that light turned, well, they got on it and got up in front of me. I did not hit them. I didn't even really, well, I thought about hitting them, although I didn't hit them because I knew I was going to be preaching. That really doesn't work too well. (laughs) So so here's where I'm talking about layering your worship, your Thanksgiving. Seeing that, and you're going to see a lot of that, holiday season. Man, people, you know, they don't really care about what your agenda is because they got stuff to do. So in observing the selfishness of other people, instead of letting it make you angry, Why don't you look at them and come to the next layer down, which is, you know what, I'm just like them. The reason that it bothered me that that person got in front of me this morning is because I wanted to be first. So if you observe that, ahead of time especially, it helps avoid higher blood pressure. But you see. Remember, we've been talking now for 16 months about seeing people as God does you know what? God loves that person just as much as he loves you. It's not a competition about who gets to be first. Jesus already settled that. He's always first. And we have the opportunity to serve him. And so when you see other selfishness, instead of getting angry, see your own selfishness, which ought to drive you to the next layer, which is, you know what? I'm grateful that I have forgiveness and grace and mercy because I'm just selfish. And that seeing forgiveness and grace and mercy opens the door for you to the next level down, the next layer down, which is, God, I don't really want to be selfish anymore, so help me. And so then the strength part of it comes in, and God begins to strengthen you, and it just makes you want to worship because of what he does in your life. Original thanksgiving is not about what you have to be thankful for. It's about the position that you have because of Jesus Christ. And it drives us to worship. Happy Thanksgiving. Let's pray. And as we pray, the question is, where are you in this message? What is God's message to you in this? Do you know the peace that comes from being forgiven? Do you know the love that God has through Jesus Christ for you? If not, today ought to be that day when you discover that love and that life that Jesus has for you. Maybe God's dealing with you at a point as you go into this Thanksgiving season where you know you need to carve out some time. You've just been too busy. You've been too focused on other things, and somewhere God got lost in the shuffle for you. And This is a great time to make that commitment. Maybe you think about joining the church. You want to serve with God's people. This is a great place to do that. We encourage you to do that. Whatever it is that God has for you today, now's the time to do it. Father, glorify your name. Be glorified today through our lives. Help us right now to choose to be what you want us to be. And if you're moving in someone's life right this second so that they might come to know Jesus Christ, do great work is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing and you come.